Hello and welcome to 2022 folks. I know I'm a month late, but better late than never. I wanted to start the first episode of this year with a bang and here we are. This is a topic I've been wanting to address for a very long time. On this episode, I have my guest, Sarkib Ahmed, who is a psychotherapist based in Brussels and London. He runs many therapy workshops for the LGBT community and plays an active role in raising awareness about homosexuality and bisexuality. Sarkib talks about his struggles emigrating to the UK from Pakistan, coming out as bisexual, and how this has impacted his religious journey. Now, just as a disclaimer, this is personally a very new topic for myself, so apologies if there are any remarks made of an insensitive nature. This conversation is very controversial, so if that's not for you, please check that check out one of my lighter episodes. Now, for the rest of you, you might want to get your headphones for this one. Enjoy! Hi Sakib! Hi! How are you? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm very excited to have you. You know, I think this is one episode that I've been meaning to do for a very long time and I've been looking for the for the perfect person and then here you are. So thank you for taking the time out to, to being on my podcast. But yeah, so to let the audience know, Sakib right now is currently living in Belgium. So we are I'm living in Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> so we are currently recording this at 7.30 in the morning. That's how dedicated I am, folks. And Sarkib, for that matter. So <laughs> Less dedicated. I mean, uh, it's 8.30 for me. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I'm very conscious of time. Uh, we are both very busy, folks. So let's delve straight into it. Me and Sarkib previously had a conversation about where we, where we were going to take this, uh, this episode, but I'm just going to leave it all to you. So let's Let's treat this as some sort of story on your part. Well, I guess when I was thinking back to our last conversation, you know, I, I got to a point where I, was thinking, I just gave my life story and I'm not sure if anyone really wants to know my life story. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about it actually. Within that, I guess there's a, a number of important topics. Yeah. And I guess the thread through the entire thing is, uh, well, what, what does it mean to be LGBTI, South Asian and Muslim mm-hmm. and having all of those intersectional identities? You know, as a South Asian Pakistani born person myself, raised in the UK, and then being bisexual and and Muslim, it wasn't the most easiest uh, of journeys. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's really where I'd like to kind of focus on. And then just, I mean, I can give my narrative, but I know my narrative is not any uh, anything special. It's not rare. It's it's just one of many narratives that exists, and people may relate to mine or they may not. Because um, I don't think mine is as extreme as but some people may have had. But neither, uh, nevertheless, it doesn't mean to say that, you know, if you've had it easy, that easy in inverted commas, that it hasn't affected you in some way. Um, and also, it's, it's worth thinking about, you know, um, when I say the impact, I'm talking really, you know, the impact on, on your mental health, the impact on your well-being generally, life choices you make. Absolutely. Um, growing up and as, as an adult so that's the things I was thinking about uh, after after our conversation yeah no, I, I no, just gave my entire bloody life story <laughs> no. I'm not sure what the point was no I absolutely love that you wear your heart on your sleeve and you're so straightforward and open about these things because I think it's going to help a lot of the listeners potentially listening into this podcast um, and people around the world and I think raising awareness is the best thing to do really to kind of make people in similar positions or who've been through similar experiences feel comfortable so mm-hmm. what I'd like to do actually is to start off with your childhood so I'd like to know where it where it all began so I'm Pakistani born mm-hmm. uh, I was born in Lahore um, I was born into a family uh, which is quite middle class in, in, in Lahore now I'm not sure whether they're, they're middle class but at the time <laughs> they were <laughs> but okay. anyway um, my mother's from Mauritius so that's where she grew, uh, when she was born and she was raised in the UK. Mm-hmm. So she would what you would call, you know, first generation immigrant uh, to the UK. But then she got married to my father and they moved to Pakistan. And that's where myself and my two siblings were born. And then we uh, we came to the UK when I was eight. And that's where I had my entire education. And that must have been a massive change, not just for your family, but for you as a young boy as well. Well, it was an overnight like change of my entire world it went from you know 
having the support of a extended family network, as as I'm sure you you're aware, you know how South Asian families may live. You've got yeah. your grandparents, you've got your aunts, you've got your uncles, you've got your cousins living in this massive. I I wouldn't even call it a house. I would call it a complex. Yeah. Uh, with lots of various houses within it. Mm-hmm. Um. To to just being the four of us overnight yeah yeah I can only uh, imagine and also England it's not it's not just a country that's so similar to Pakistan it's definitely a different setup in terms of the lifestyle in terms of the weather in terms of the culture in general so it, it must I'm still be... not used to the weather so yeah that must have been a very very interesting move for you and nerve-wracking move for you so obviously you were separated from your family and now you are an eight-year-old boy boy that is being asked to go to school in England and obviously things are very different so what was the transition going from Pakistan to England to then whereabouts in England actually uh well I grew up in Manchester okay okay so So it's weird so basically my family um my mother's side of the family they all left Mauritius and then moved to South Wales uh Bridgend specifically uh which is a bizarre move but it is what it is um so my um my childhood was kind of split between Manchester and, and Bridgend. So obviously during term time, I was in Manchester, but all of my holidays, all of my Christmases, Easter breaks, summer holidays were spent in, in, in South Wales. South Wales. Okay. Okay. So here you are, this eight-year-old, and you're about to start school. So I'm very intrigued to know your first day at school's experience when you first started in Manchester. I don't really remember it that well. I remember the general themes, which were, there was a lot of bullying. There was, uh, I got into a lot of fights. Now, it's interesting, so, you know, you, you mentioned the impact. And actually, I don't think I really grasped the impact till I was much older. Um, I think it's only in the last maybe five years, I really started to appreciate how difficult it was for me growing yeah. up. And you, you have to keep in mind, you know, I was eight. And I, I suddenly, you know, my mother went from being an available mother who was there all the time. Yeah. to being a single uh, single parent, raising three kids and working two jobs. So she was no longer available. Of course, yeah. So, you know, the support system that I had just suddenly was not there. So when I just say support, I don't, I don't mean just my mother, my grandparents, you know, like, you know, there was always someone around me to validate my emotions, validate my needs uh, and just tell me that I'm doing okay or support me when I'm not. Yeah. So having all of that to having none of that, uh, and really just having a roof over your head, uh, food on the table, uh, clothes on your back and education was, you know, your, your basic needs were suddenly just only met. Yeah. So that really affects how you grow up uh, because you go from being incredibly confident to becoming incredibly unnerved about who you are and what you are. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, the, then, and the bullying definitely wouldn't have helped. So what kind of bullying were you subjected? So there's two passes. The first school that I went to in Manchester um, was actually a all well, majority white school. Okay. So it was in Presswich in Manchester. And uh, Presswich, for those who don't know, sorry, uh, used to be a very affluent white area right. in North Manchester. Mm-hmm. So there was Cheatham Hill, which is where I mostly grew up and then there was press switch and actually at the time I wasn't even living in Cheetah Mill I was living in an area called Blakely which at the time was very dangerous was quite uh was quite rough so we're talking in the 90s right so in the 90s where you know Britain was still dealing with racism overt racism not the you know the the kind of racism them uh, the likes of Meghan Markle to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, more, the more overt, in your face, yeah, getting yeah. chased by, by groups of skinheads, that kind of stuff. So Britain was still dealing with that. Right. Um, and here you are, you're not even from Britain. You're like fresh from Pakistan. So you would have been subject to even more racism because they've got, hey, look, his accent. Hey, look, he dresses differently. Hey, look, he the way he does things is very different. So I can only imagine... All- yeah, it was all of that. I mean, like, you know, just basic things like, you know, um, and this is with kids, right? So this is yeah. not even with the adults. So these were other eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds. Uh, so I remember being in school. And so, you know, my first schooling experience was in Pakistan, in, in Lahore, and, you know, just doing the attendance register. So one of the things that I was used to doing is when they say your name, you stand up and say present. Yeah. You know, so suddenly I was standing up and saying present and people would laugh at the fact that I was standing and saying present yeah um, yeah. and I was being called a SWAT because 
I just knew the stuff, not because I was super clever, because we'd already been through it in Pakistan. Yeah, because they have a different totally. me- method of teaching there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, you know, at the, at the time, it was just much more advanced. Like for me, initially, school was quite fun uh, in, in terms of what you were learning, because, it was you know, you got to play. Like who knew you would go to school to play? What the hell? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it, it wasn't focusing on exams. It was really just like for me was just like, oh, this is a nice pastime. And yeah. you know, the only subjects I was really that I was learning in was things like history, geography. These are subjects I hadn't really explored in, in my schooling in Pakistan up till then. Of course. So you know, English, math, science, all of that came really easy because I was actually quite advanced for my age because of, of my schooling in Pakistan. So yeah. you know, I got called SWAT. Um, uh, people made fun of my accent. Interestingly enough, they thought I had a Pakistani accent. Actually, at the time, I had an American accent because I went to this American school. Yeah. So I was just really, I was really confusing. Of course, it was a very confusing because, experience. Because you see me, obviously, I was like this brown kid, but he came out with an American accent and he just came from Pakistan. So I don't think kids really knew where to place me. No, absolutely. And also when kids are unfamiliar with something, they like to, if anything, attack it because they're, they're, it's, it's something threatening to them. And I think that's what yeah. you were. Potentially you were a threat. Just out of curiosity, were, these, were the majority of these kids, were they from a white background or were there children from a similar background to you? Living in Britain. White background. So right, in, okay. interesting enough, like my cousin at the time also went to the same school and it was me and her, and maybe one or two other brown people with the you know representations of brownness. Um yeah. I, I remember because actually at the time we didn't have our own house. So this was my first school, so we were actually staying with my uncle and his family. And I, I remember my cousin would avoid me in, in school because she didn't want to be associated with me. Right, um, okay. Um, How did that feel? That must have been a shock to the system. Well, it was really strange, right? Because as soon as we'd get home, she'd be playing with me. Oh, gosh, yeah. As an, eight, <laughs> as an eight-year-old, that is so confusing. It's confusing to move to a completely different country. It's confusing to understand that mommy is no longer as available as she used to because she's working her ass off trying to help you guys out. And then mm. it's confusing knowing that family members who are you know, meant to be there to comfort you and to reassure you are one minute not speaking to you at school and then all of a sudden your best of friends at home. That whole you know, setup for an eight-year-old must have been so confusing and it was incredibly destabilizing I mean, yeah. and also you know just again just focusing on the basics language I mean like, yes yeah. I knew how to speak English but actually it wasn't my first language mm. or there was um, now interesting enough English has become my first language now I think in English I dream in English but um, it wasn't at the time and I, I know everyone meant well and I know why they did it but I was no longer allowed to speak Urdu I see I had to, I had to speak English which led to actually me eventually forgetting Urdu I forgot how to speak it. I forgot how to read it. I forgot how to write it. That's tragic. Uh, Which is which is really sad because actually Mm. I think it's an amazing skill to have, and I think it was a beautiful Beautiful language. language, Yes. Um, You know, it's incredibly poetic. It's the only language where we don't have any swear words. We still yeah, it's 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 so it's the the etiquette and the mannerism in Urdu is just beautiful. Yeah. So you know, it was not that I you know I was consciously forgetting, but just being told that you can't speak. You know, I remember like I would have. I would speak in Urdu and people would reply in English. And yeah. again, I can, I, can, I can look back and think why this was happening. Hmm. But actually the impact and how difficult it was obviously led to me messing around in school, getting into fights, getting into trouble. Yeah. That, I mean, that said, I still had really good grades. Yeah. You know? But I was a disturbed child. Of course, because you were unfamiliar, you were, you were still trying to get used to and adapt to this new environment as well. So and nobody the, normalized it. Yeah, no one. Nobody no, normal. Yeah. Nobody normalized what I was going through. If anything, what they said was, "You're a problem child." Yeah. Teachers, parents, relatives, everyone just pathologized my behavior rather than saying, "Well, this is a reaction to all of the things he's going through." And is that how you felt at the time? Did you feel like a problem child? Completely. Well, you do, right? All children internalize. Mm-hmm. In psychology 101, you tell a dog enough times it's a dog is going to behave like. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So actually, just on that point, because you already felt like a problem child, I want to delve into the part where you started to figure out your sexuality a little bit. So 
you obviously was going through a lot. You, like I said before, you've entered a new place. You've started at a new school. You're getting bullied. Your mom is not available. And, you know, your cousin's giving you mixed signals. And you're obviously missing your grandparents and everyone else back home in Lahore. So at this point in your life, did you start to figure out in this department what you were? And, you know, did you start to notice that you were slightly different from your family members and the people around you? I was completely different from everyone not just because of the sexuality aspect, just generally because yeah. suddenly, again, I think you have to understand the context of what it was like to be me in Pakistan. I was a very different child to being in Pakistan to the UK. You know, I was this very confident, loving, happy child yeah. to being this angry child. Yeah, yeah. And my par- and my mother did not know what to do with me. Mm, mm. You know, she, she just thought I was this nuisance child who was ruining the status quo yeah <laughs> you know i i constantly got compared to my brother and sister who were like the, the prodigal children were they um, were they considerably older than you at the time my sister was three years older so she was already a teenage girl. right okay. when she was 11 my brother was 15 so the transition um, for them would have been a lot easier i think definitely for my brother but certainly for my sister it probably would have been somewhat similar yeah yeah the three of us effectively you know we were different stages of our development my my sister was coming into uh, her adolescence my brother was already going to puberty yeah uh, if not already past it and then I was just you know developing a sense of myself so for me it was really quite a volatile stage to have this level of disruption yeah and to throw into the mix sexuality as well yeah like I had a, I I'm surprised I survived all of that if, you, if I'm honest um, no, you know, I, on, on reflection I really do empathize with myself again not to say that I had it the worst at all it's not what I'm saying I'm just yeah. saying for a child to put up with that level of conflict yeah. is difficult no, absolutely. That's that's completely understandable. And also at that at that age in particular, you don't completely understand the whole concept of sexuality in itself. And so, nobody explains it. To and you, no right? one explains it exactly, especially in the culture. south. It's our culture. It's our religion. Like in terms yeah. of, ha- the, 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 well, not the religion itself, but the the culture that comes with the religion. I think it's very you know taboo and hush hush. So that it must have been a very difficult time for you. So my, my question really is leading to the actual concept of bisexuality. I'm sure at the time didn't even occur to you because you potentially didn't even understand it. But what what was the first set of thoughts that you had that made you think that I'm potentially I potentially think differently or feel differently in this area? Well, I remember um, really being fascinated by one of my friends, one of my male friends, yeah. which I knew I couldn't really talk about to anyone. There was like this level of interest that, that went beyond just being, he was my best friend. But at the same time, I knew that I couldn't talk about my feelings with him, about him, to him or anyone else. Why is that? I'm very curious. At that I have age. absolutely <laughs> no idea why I thought this was wrong, but I knew it was. Okay. And again, this is perhaps to do with the culture that society is in and how homosexuality is generally taught, right? right yeah. Um, uh, that it's, it's bad. Now, at some point, somewhere, from someone, I must have internalized that. I know for a fact, certainly, gender normative behavior was instilled in me in school. Now, I, I say this because, again, I went from being a very middle-class child to being a very working-class child, mm-hmm. um, you know, where a parent is really trying to put food on the table. Make ends meet, you yes. Know, really. So I remember the first couple of items of clothing that I had in the UK that weren't mine from Pakistan were lent to me. Uh, and one of the things that was lent to me, or I say lent to me, like given to, handed down to me, uh, were, were, these, were these boots. Now, on reflection, these boots were probably girls right, uh, right. that could have passed for uh, boys' boots. They were basically, you know, Chelsea boots okay. for, for women, I think, mm-hmm. for girls. And they were given to me. So I, I wore them. Now, I don't know what the hell they are. That To me, they're just shoes. They're just boots, right? yeah. <laughs> they're just boots. But all the other kids knew that these were boots that were supposed to be for girls. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that then became a point of uh, bullying. Bullying as or, well. Oh, look at him. He's wearing girls' boots. He's gay. He's mm. this. He's a sissy. Blah, blah, blah. And it's not like I had any choice. Like, it's either that or you go, go barefoot. And had you, heard, <laughs> had you heard the word gay before? No, you know, I knew there was right. something bad about it. Something bad about it. And did you yeah. actually understand the meaning of what no, it was? Not no, not at all. Okay, no. In- interesting. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I just knew that it was related to 
the boots and the boots were related to being a girl and being a girl for a guy was bad right okay okay so that's interesting so here you are gosh it's so much for a child having all these different experiences and then starting to have these feelings for your friend so let's get back onto that so you obviously have these feelings for your friend and you realize couldn't tell anyone you couldn't tell anyone and yeah and then what what happened after that well, alongside, I mean, parallel to that, I still had also feelings for these girls as well. Like, right. um, I remember my first love was this girl <laughs> who, oh, I just thought she was amazing. Everything, she, like the sun shone out of her ass. <laughs> you know? uh, she, she was just this beautiful, tall gazelle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? wow. uh, she, uh, like, she was super intelligent. She was just funny. And all the boys liked her. And she was my friend. And... Uh, and I remember when she, she she actually left school, she left Manchester and, and her, her family moved to London, I think. Um, I, I remember crying for days. And so alongside of this, right? So alongside of me having this interest in my, my friend. You also like this friend, girl. Yeah. I also like this girl. Yeah. Um, but that was acceptable. That I could tell people. That you felt comfortable to talk to people about. about. Yes, of course, of course. This was normal because everyone liked it. Yeah. You know, all the boys liked it and every, all the boys would talk about that. So this was, I was given permission to talk about this, right? But I wasn't given permission to talk about liking my friend. Right. My male friend. Yeah. So out of curiosity, yeah. did you end up telling him? No. Okay. God, okay. no. Oh, Again, okay. I, I, not because anyone told me that this is wrong. I just learned that this was wrong for whatever reason. And you both remained friends? Interesting enough, in high school, we stopped being friends, but not because of that. Um, he just became a very different person. Um, yeah. yeah he, he got quite involved in gangs and things like that. And that was, I was not allowed to join the gang. <laughs> My mother yeah. would not have had it. No, of course. <laughs> you know, I had to be home at six o'clock. And, you know, and six o'clock only because I was, uh, you know, I went to all of these different high, uh, after school clubs. Uh, I was that kid. I was basically in every club. Yeah. Um, so I had to be almost six. So yeah. So and all, like, all, all of this, all of this, at what age was it happening? So when you liked this guy, but you also liked this girl. Or what so age? age? So yes, year four. Right. Year four, okay. Year five. Very young. Age. Yeah. So he was my, he was my best friend in year four, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and all through primary school. So year four, I think, is like my eight or nine to ten, eleven. So primary school. Yeah, of course, of course. Right. Okay. So that's really interesting. So obviously you, your mind was starting to process this at a very, very young age. Mm -hmm. So when was sexuality just in itself introduced to you? At what age would you say that? I can't really say, to be honest, but I know that. I know it's a very fluid thing, but I know. Exactly. Was there there any like education at school? Because when I was, when I was educated at school, it was very much like man, woman, woman like man make baby and that was this that was the setup and you know I'm 26 so that that wasn't even that far back but I'm just curious as to see what was your sex education like I mean the formal sex education I mean I remember the the that week that we had in high school yeah high school right so yeah. so I'm, I'm sitting 15 or 14 when that happened yeah and it was the it wasn't even a sex ed teacher it was our English teacher yeah. Mrs. Briley <laughs> it was just so bizarre for this woman to give a sex education talk mm. uh, to a bunch of rowdy kids. Right. Okay. Uh, it was the most typical example of sex education that you would ever see. Right. Okay. You know, a banana, a condom, put the condom. Oh, on I, the see, I see. It was really <laughs> crass and really. Oh, I mean, it was it was awful. Yeah, I mean, we, we at least had a dildo, but okay. <laughs> well, you're, you're 26. I haven't yeah. <laughs> And also inner city Manchester school, right? So, yeah. and again, as you know, just like yourself, it was very heteronormative, very, you know, sex is between a man and a woman, sex is within the constraints of a loving relationship, you know, no, no idea of sex that you could just have for fun because you want to have for fun or for, yeah. or, or, or for pleasure or for relaxation. It's really just about sex between men and women, sex between men and women in love, which either leads to marriage or is in within the context of marriage yeah um, and this was in high school so obviously this you're, was high school. you're sat there in that classroom and you're thinking what are you thinking what are your thought processes because obviously you, well, you you know the age of eight were feeling these feelings for this guy and then now you're being taught by your teacher this is just meant to be between a man and a woman like what was going through your head I mean, there's obviously a number of years in between as well. Yeah, um, of course. So to be honest, by then, I'm pretty sure I knew 
that being gay was a bad thing. Being well, I, I understood that being gay existed and being straight existed. Bisexuality right, right. just wasn't a concept at this moment in time. Right. So, and I, I remember my, uh, in uh, in year eleven, I actually had my first girlfriend. Even then, even though you know, um, I, I was in this relationship, I, I I remember still thinking and having thoughts about 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 guys. Yeah. But not understanding that there was a third option or right. there could be other options. Right. Uh, you know, apart from being gay or straight, it was almost like I just didn't put it. I didn't put the pieces of the puzzle together. You didn't process it because if you if you don't understand something, if you're not exposed to something, how are you expected to understand it? I can relate to that, and, and you mm-hmm. know, I do. I do understand why you you didn't think there was a third option. So obviously, you had this girlfriend in high school, and you were having thoughts about men as well. Did you feel comfortable enough to share this with her? No, not at all. Okay, okay. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I don't think I did anything about my uh, sexuality till much later. Uh, I mean, I'm talking. I say much later uh, in terms of what, what much later is for a child. Yeah, uh, three I years just, for an adult. Yeah. <laughs> anymore, right? I just, so like, I, I just want to like ask you like a quite a blunt question, and this is no way to offend you. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, you were you you had a girlfriend but you were having thoughts about guys did you in one one instance think I'm gay but I'm trying to pretend not to be gay did, did that thought ever cross your mind because obviously not, you didn't know what well, bisexuality yes, was yes it did but I, I didn't I didn't really think of myself as gay right okay but I didn't really think of myself as straight yeah yeah I just didn't know what I was I just knew I was different so it's really interesting that you say that because a lot of people in society would like to say oh bisexuals are just pretending bisexuals are this Mm. but the thing is you without even knowing that there was a bisexuality was feeling all these things so it just goes to show that it's like a it's an innate thing it's not something that we just make up it was completely confusing for me because I didn't have a word for what I was and I didn't I don't think I learned the concept of bisexuality to perhaps I was in college maybe even university yeah yeah because till then I just thought I was there was something wrong with me yeah yeah and you know also growing up as a muslim you know you 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 forget muslim growing up as south asian generally you know uh, any deviation from the norm gender or sexual is seen as bad yeah right? yeah uh, and then throw in a bit of uh, religion in there for for good purpose you then have sin yeah and sin leads you to going to hell and did you feel that did you feel that because you were totally, having those thoughts you totally, were living in totally. sin yeah right. i totally felt i was going to go to hell Right. Okay. And in trying to, it became this two thing, right? So keeping the narrative in mind, I grew up believing I was this problem child. Yeah. Suddenly I have the sexuality and the sexuality became almost the answer for why I was a problem problem child. child. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then I'm in a right. Okay. So now I'm going to go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, your, your education, your Islamic education in general, Mm -hmm. was that, was that done at a mosque? Where, where was that done? So majority of it was actually, I I was, I think for this, I'm very, very lucky. And most of it was done by my mother. My mother, and prior to that, my grandparents and my father, but mostly my my mother. Mm. Now, I say that's such a, for me, it was such a blessing is because had I had it from outside, and not to say I didn't have outside education as well. Of course I did. I had, you know, you you go to the mosque, you hear things, you you go to some madrasa, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and you absorb things but majority of it was actually from my mom so and never actually did I get told from my mother or anyone in my family that being gay being bisexual being you know anything LGBTI is a sin yeah is a bad thing actually mm-hmm. that was never taught to me if anything I ever learned if I ever learned that was it was from everyone else right it was society from school itself. it was yeah. from society it was from the mosques that I went to um so although um, my mother taught me Quran and how to pray and everything, uh, initially I did go to a mosque and, uh, and I used to go to a madrasa, um, yeah. you know, like an Islamic school to do that. But actually I stopped going because uh, the teacher was just really abusive to me. Mm. I don't know what he had against me, but he just didn't like me and would hit me. And right. so I became quite scared to go and I started, I stopped going. Um, so my mother then found out and then took over my education, my Islamic mm-hmm. education, 
which like I said was a blessing in disguise yeah um, yeah so because... obviously when you when you were at school and you obviously having these thoughts and you know you had a girlfriend but also you were having these thoughts about guys but you were also a Muslim and you know you're Pakistani you know what because because obviously in Islam I don't know what your your mum's teaching was but I know in the mosques and, and from, from my personal experience homosexuality is just a no-no so did you feel like in ev- any instance well how can, I, how, how can I be a Muslim if I'm feeling this way like I'm yeah. just yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, you know, I, I thought God had sent like this curse onto me, and I just didn't understand why. Oh, like, yeah. you know, God's cursed me from from the get go. Get go. Yeah. How am I? How am I supposed to? How am I supposed to go? You know, how am I supposed to get past go? If if it's moved directly to jail, did not pass go, do not collect two hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. a monopoly. Uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. But that's I like the analogy. Yeah. It really felt like that. It's like, you know, there's yeah. no way out. I'm trapped in this in this existence. And no matter what I will do, uh, I'll, 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 I'll just end up in hell. And at the same time, you know, like, you know, keeping in mind my mom educated me in Islam, I also had these narratives that actually it's, you know, what kind of person you are hmm. that determines whether you go to hell or heaven, right? Not not what you do. Because yeah. you know, I remember hearing about all of these stories about you know the prophet asking, you know, so the prophet being asked by his disciples, you know, um, who who would be their neighbors in, in heaven? And, and one of the one of the neighbors of one of the guys was was a thief yeah. um, who stole things and who murdered people to as a way of making a living. I mean, I can't remember the exact story, so please don't quote me on this, but yeah. <laughs> paraphrasing. And the prophet was like, well, the reason he's going to be your, your neighbor is because, you know, he steals so he can feed his elderly pa- uh, parents who don't have teeth. Right. You know, so I'm having these mixed messages. Of about course. What, yeah. What's about right what's and what's in, wrong. Yeah. What, what, what's good, what's bad, bad what's right, yeah. what's wrong. You know, what gets you into hell? You know, if prostitutes and thieves can get into heaven. Why the hell can I? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. To be honest, uh, is, isn't that slightly comforting? You know, these these stories were they slightly comforting to you? Not at all. It was, if anything, it was really confusing. Okay. Because <laughs> now it is. Yeah, yeah. Now it is. Now it now it really is. Now like I resonate with all of this, but at the time, a, a child just needs certainty. And I'm saying yeah. this, you know, we know from literature. Sorry, just throwing. I'm I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist, so yeah. you know, um, I, I do a lot of research in these topics. We know that children who have gender or, or sexual identities that deviate from the norm have delayed milestones, social mm. milestones. Mm. So their development is delayed. You know, a lot of LGBTI people go into adulthood with the mind the social mind of a child yeah you know that's not i'm not i'm not saying this is to discriminate or, or to, to no of course highlighting I, yeah. that we have to hide when our peers don't exactly and the impact yeah. of that hiding is substantial yeah, i can imagine yeah you know because yeah. um, you, you're not you're not you're in a way you're not allowing yourself to grow or to even mentally explore that area so you're suppressing it and because you're suppressing it it doesn't allow any ability to grow or yeah. any room to grow so, so that makes so, sense so, so so your need for your need for absolutes is really important yeah you know so you need to know what's right what's wrong what's good what's bad what's you know what's sin and what's what's not yeah absolutely so, so obviously you are being taught islam at home by your mom you i'm just going back to the story here because i love these tangents but i just want to i want i want the audience to know where this is leading because it's leading to something you know wonderful and beautiful and about all you're doing now um, to make a difference so obviously you were at college and you had this girlfriend um and you know you're having thoughts about guys you are you're being taught when did your islamic education stop at, at home when, when did your mom decide you know he knows enough <laughs> i don't think it was her i think it was me Okay. Um, I suddenly stopped praying. Okay. I suddenly stopped going to the mosque. Okay. I became very. For any reason? Like... I became angry. I became right. really, really angry with God because I was just like, God fucked me over, any. Yeah. Is it this time, like at college time, did you decide to do all of this? I, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I'm going to say yeah. probably college. Um, no, of course. Completely understand where you're coming from. And what's the point of doing all this? And I was and, like, if I'm going to go to hell, what, what's and the point? Yeah. What's, what's the point? And it was almost like I had this, 
I, I remember getting into these, it sounds really crazy when I say it, but like um, these arguments with God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, saying, why have you done this to me? Why have you done this to me? Why, why have you given me hands that I can't use? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, and then at the same time having conversations with my mom, not about this, but generally about sin and the concept of it and, and asking, you know, if you if you commit sin in your life and you ask for forgiveness, can you still get into heaven? Mm-hmm. And her answers were like, well, if you commit sin and you ask for forgiveness, the idea is that you don't do it again. Yeah. So obviously, like, what you, if you, you have, know, like, but what if you can't control it? Yeah. What if you the- can't control it? And, and she's like, well, that's what, uh, you know, the whole uh, Adam's apple story yeah. is about. It's about yeah. not, not giving in to temptation. Do you feel like your uh, mom started to clock on here? Because obviously you were asking all these questions. Oh, she totally knew. The whole family knew. Oh. Uh, at this point, like, you know, they'd already discovered all the porn on the computer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is before we're talking Windows dial-up kind of generation, oh, right? Uh, the AOL, right. all of that kind of stuff. So where, you know, the, cha- the the history of your internet use is really there for everyone to see. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you kind of have to be a bit of an IT wizard to know how to get rid of it yeah now it's super simple right you just go into settings and cl- click clear history yeah it didn't yeah. work like that back then it was a little bit more complicated uh so okay, i see so obviously they, they already had an idea so there was never a, was there ever like a direct conversation that mom not or dad at and, right okay. not at all not at all um and interestingly enough it still doesn't really happen and i'm 35 now the only time it happens is when i bring it up and i actually this is something i've started to do much much more i realize that if you want people to be comfortable with something well firstly you have to be comfortable with it yourself yeah and you have to normalize it for yourself and for your family for mm-hmm. them to feel normal about it mm-hmm. so where they avoided where they have avoided and still do to some extent i don't now so mm-hmm. i will talk about my work i will talk about my patients i'll talk about myself i'll talk about my dating life and you know it's got to a point now uh, my mother recently was talking about when my cousin's getting married right okay. uh, and uh, she was telling me oh you know your cousin is getting married to, to to this american girl i'm like well that makes sense he lives in he lives in america okay, goes, yeah. no 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 but he's getting married to a white girl i'm like okay and she's yeah. like oh he's getting married to some uh, the girl's name is something famous like a celebrity and i was like oh like what uh, yeah. one of those singers like like britney she's like yes it's britney <laughs> i'm like why don't you get married to some britney shitney jason Mason? <laughs> you know it's got to a point now my mom's like i don't care what you get married just get married just get married yeah yeah so no, obviously so, what, so did you did you ever have a conversation with your mom about like mom I'm bisexual or mom I'm having thoughts about guys did that did that ever come up in your in your household it did and again it was me having to do that but interestingly enough her reaction was the most well it's very typical for my mother actually I wouldn't say it's a typical Asian response at all but it's very typically my mother <laughs> so so I remember I can't remember how old I must have been 16 18 18 or 19 Okay. 18 or 19 transitioning into um, university really yeah i think i was already at university now that okay. I think about it. yeah i think it was my first year at university and i remember saying to her yeah um i'm, I'm bisexual but don't uh, worry did, did, i'm gonna know, get married to a guy uh, to, to to a girl that's that's basically how you said it right yeah. okay so you bet you told her but you felt the need to reassure her in that one sentence yeah okay and her response was mm-hmm. okay not surprised well, no, not even. It was almost like she's not like this is a pointless conversation. Why are we having? This? Right. Okay. Um, it was. It was like I've asked to pass the salt. Right. I you know, see. it was that kind of. It, it was. It was very. Again, I don't know if that's how she meant it, but that's how it was received. It was received yeah. as I can't talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's okay, but don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so. How how did you feel in that moment? Like what what happened after that? Did you guys just walk away, or was there more? Well, to the she asked me if I wanted to go for counselling, and right. that was the end of it. Um, right. Which again, like I said, is a very typically my mother thing too. Um, my mother, you have to keep in mind, is you know she she she, she was a single parent, um, mm. so she was very much a provider of needs, yeah, but your basic mm. needs. So in her mind, probably this child is now going through some problems. Yeah. He needs medical support or psychological support. 
Yeah. And do you think she wanted you to go to f- for counselling because she felt like you might be struggling with the, the concept of it all? Or do you think she wanted you to go for counselling because, you know, she felt like there's something wrong with my child? As in, like, you know, this is what, what he's feeling. As I well. think a bit of both. I think okay. a bit of both, if I'm honest. I think at the time, she probably meant it as he needs someone to talk to. Yeah. Time, I think there was an element of, I wish I can cure him of this. Because okay. afterwards, you know, I remember for, for weeks and months afterwards, I would occasionally wake up to her spraying water on my face. Oh, wow. Uh, when I say spraying water, you know. Um, like Zamzam water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know what Zamzam and- water is, it's a holy type of water that we use in Islam that specifically comes from Saudi Arabian area in Mecca. So, right, that's, that's really interesting. So my mom went a step further, not just that, she also started praying on water uh, so my mother's very religious she's yeah. very, you know uh, she, she's one of those uh, people who don't just do five a day namaz she does six a day namaz right. she does that extra right. one that nobody really wakes up for right. when people wake up for fajr yeah there's, a, there's one in between or i can't remember if it's before fajr or after fajr there's another one that tohajjud right which my right. mother does that's how religious my mother is okay. so at this point she's now trying to take the sexuality out of me away through, from you yeah uh, and cure it in some way and i remember making this one comment i was wearing this necklace at the time you know those um uh, rosary bead necklaces were in yeah yeah oh, i'm really showing my age now, aren't I? <laughs> 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 uh, they were really in. i was wearing them i obviously had to cross up because i didn't like the idea of of, um, uh, of promoting christianity when i'm not yeah. um or wearing other people's religions uh, religious symbols but anyway so I, I was wearing these things and my mother would just be like this is why you are the way you are right and i was like and i remember at one point just getting really angry and saying me wearing these beads or me wearing a pink shirt doesn't make my sexuality it won't make me wear, become more or less if i yeah. stop wearing it Mm, exactly exactly oh so that that must have been a very challenging time for you and obviously I think from what I understand that was your mom trying to process it from the moment of when you told her to then you know throwing essentially holy water on you and kind of blaming you for your own sexuality it was kind of her way of dealing with it she this didn't... is how people see it right so people yeah. think often and and it's not their fault it's, it's because we're not taught this so yeah. you know, my mother is, is a product of society yeah part of her own upbringing and her own education uh, like we all are that you know you choose your sexuality mm. you know everyone's born straight and then you choose not to be yeah now mm. if i had a choice if I had a choice, let me replace it. If I had a choice back then, I would have taken that pill and stopped it. Yeah, yeah. You know, for anyone it's listening. It's an easy option. Really, it was such an easy option. God, I mean, actually, you know, as a bisexual, I think it was even harder because you're neither here or there. Mm. Um, you know, I think if I was gay, it might have been much easier for me. Because mm. at least then I would know. Yeah. Right, that's it. I have no other choice. This is it. Yeah. Not the best choice, but it is what it is. Yeah. Right? But being bisexual is just harder. But like, you know, if I had a choice to just become straight, I totally would have back then. But at the time. Because it was awful. Mm. Having to constantly hide yourself, having to constantly just monitor how you sit, how you talk, how you come across, who you look at, who you don't look at. If you do meet someone, having to hide that relationship, having to hide that interaction, you know, really compartmentalizing your life to the nth degree. Yeah, and, and you're having to do, thing, go for it. Go. I think the sad thing is, you know, obviously I've come a long way from this, but I know people, I know adults, you know, grown men and women who still do this, who still very much compartmentalize their life. And, and it's heartbreaking yeah. because I know what it was like for me to, to go through that as a child, uh, as an adult, as a young adult. And this is even when I came out, even when I came out, I was still to some extent compartmentalizing myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would introduce if I ever had a boyfriend, I would introduce my boyfriend as my partner. Right. So okay. to uh, so to androgenize the the sexuality. Um, yeah. Okay. When I was talking about him to like not introduce, sorry, when I would talk about my partner, because I wouldn't. God forbid I should ever introduce my boyfriend yeah. to 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 my colleagues or to 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 my straight friends. It would be my partner, my partner, my partner. It would right. never be my boyfriend. My boyfriend. Partner yeah. is ambiguous, right? It could be either or. Mm-hmm. But, you know absolutely. these kind of things I started to pick up on that I I used to do yeah and to undo all of that 
takes a lot of energy it takes I a lot imagine. of conscious effort it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of mental work which you know yeah. you said you are a psychotherapist which you are I assume doing so I I can only imagine how you were feeling at that time did you feel an element of guilt that you know when you told your mum did you feel I feel guilty for telling you this like I did you ever feel I felt I had let her down right I felt I had let her down but again I think had I not also had this childhood or the single parent childhood experience yeah because that would have added to it I think it would have been easier yeah and I think it would have been much easier to deal with all of these things had I not had that previous experience Mm. you know so I already felt bad about who I was and then I got the answer for why I was bad yeah so I put everything on my sexuality my sexuality was the reason I had all of these problems not because that there were other issues you know for years and years and years I literally believed my sexuality was the biggest problem in my life and actually wasn't Yeah, yeah. You know, it was the fact that my mother just wasn't available. My father wasn't available. Mm. Um, I had to pretty much emotionally bring myself up, myself. No, I can understand that. Um, And with that came some fucked up coping strategies. Yeah, of course, (laughs) which you you have to experiment along the way and then you you find what works for you. So yeah, that makes... That makes absolute sense. So yeah, that's that's a lot to take in. Okay, <laughs> that's a lot to take in. So, but again, you know, I'm not the only one who's gone through. This. Yeah, this is what loads I was gonna say. Loads. Like, I I I acknowledge that you know what you went through was very very hard and very challenging. But I might I also say your mum being passive about the whole situation, if anything, some to some extent, I could be you know overstepping my mark here. Um helped the situation because some some parents would be completely like they'd disown their child or they would scream at their child beat the beat the gayness in inverted commas or the bisexuality out of their child a lot she of definitely them did that she tried definitely tried to do the lockers and she right, tried to get it I out see, of them, right I but see. she didn't beat me up or anything like that but yeah. she did definitely tried to get it out no absolutely I, would, I, yeah. I wouldn't say she made it better what I would say she didn't make it worse right okay sorry that was what I'm trying to trying to get at I think I'm looking at the scale of of like other experiences I've had mm-hmm. with other friends who have been through similar situations but just looking at the fact that there are so many different ways of how our parents have dealt with it and your mum seems to very much like yes okay let's brush it under the carpet but then at the same time I need to try and help my child in in, in her understanding in her mm-hmm. in her mentality but then oh, there's other people who are like nope I simply forbid this I need to take them to an imam and I need to sit them in front of an imam until this is this leaves their body they kind of treat it as some sort of exorcism to be fair my mum did do that uh, right. so, okay. and I'm not saying that this is what I'm saying I don't think it, it would be fair to say she made it better. Right. Okay. I think it was she. She didn't make it she, easier. She didn't, it, she, she didn't make it easier, and she didn't make uh, it better either. And, she, and and but it wasn't worse. It was just a continuation. Right. Of okay. What I knew was going to happen. Right. Okay. I see. I see. You know. I see. Um. I never really feared my mother disowning me. Right. For being that way. Okay um not really if I'm really really honest I don't think I ever feared that okay. what I feared more was this I've let her down that right. was way more of a uh, of a trigger for me than she'll disown me okay and you know because you felt like oh I I've let her down did you try to like girls more than guys let's say like did that was that ever like something that came to your mind not at all. the thing that I did do however was try to be the perfect child Right. Uh, perfect son um you know I, I was that kid who got perfect grades yeah. uh, I always got A's in well my mother was never satisfied with the B's but I, yeah, I was an A to B student yeah uh, I, I'm sure many Asian so uh, you tried to compensate and, compensate totally. for it yeah I was like okay well okay I, I can't be this but let me try to be this yeah, yeah. um so you know I, I and you know I was mentioning earlier that I went to every school club after school club because I wanted to be better. Yeah. You know, I was the captain of the hockey team. I was uh, uh, the wicket keeper in, in cricket. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was in all of the sports team, minus football. I could never play football. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I was musical. I learned to play, uh, I don't know how many instruments in high school. Yeah. I, I was school rep. There's so many things I did just to try to impress Com- my mother. Compensate, and, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. 
at one point, I remember I was in college and yeah. I realized it's just never going to be enough. What college is in, as in university? Or no, college as, as, as in college, college. Oh, okay. uh, as in sixth form. Yeah, okay. Um, so 16 to 18. Right. Uh, yeah, it was a history exam. So I, 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 I did a history exam uh, and I got 99%. And I was super proud of this. That's like amazing. Super, super proud, right? So can you just imagine what the response was? Why didn't you get 100? Exactly. <laughs> so you know, right? You know. Any Asian, any Asian child knows what that response is. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, at that point, I was like, okay, yeah. If you, if you can't be satisfied at this, yeah, nothing yeah. I do will ever be, be good, enough. good enough. Yeah. And at that point, I just stopped trying. Okay. Okay. So you stopped trying at college, and then obviously, fast forward, you've now gone well, to university. Well, actually, I didn't. It didn't stop there. Oh. I I stopped compensating with oh, her. Right. But well, in, at least in that sense, anyway, in the, in that area, I then went to avoiding. So actually, I I started avoiding my mother. I started avoiding interactions with her because she was just too triggering for me right um okay. so i actually i left for university as a way to avoid not just her to be fair manchester uh people around me at the time yeah i just wanted a fresh start i, I didn't want anything yeah. to do with anyone there um, can i can i ask the question you know the way your mom reacted just going back to the way your mom reacted would you have preferred it if she was a bit more like oh my god like i can't believe this would you have preferred that reaction rather than you know the past the salt reaction i know that the ideal reaction would be you know i'll accept you either way i love you my son you know that that the sexuality is is your thing and yours alone but i'm just saying out of the two what would you have preferred in terms of i don't think acknowledge, the acknowledgement helpful. the acknowledgement yeah, I, 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 I don't i don't think either was helpful however right. the the lack of acknowledgement was this a, is what i'm trying a, to get was, at was, was a was a um a constant yeah uh in my family it is a very typical thing in my family not to talk about certain things yeah. not to acknowledge certain problems not just in myself but just in, in the family in general, yeah. avoidance was a is still very much a strategy yeah. we go to which um, you seem to have learned vicariously at some point yeah, yeah and again it takes it took a it has taken a lot of energy and time and effort to to notice that I do these things and not do them. Yeah. You know, where all my instincts is telling me, right, overcompensate or avoid. I'm like, no, come on, right? Let's get on with it. Let's let's face this situation. And that's not to say I do this constantly and consi- uh, uh, consistently every time, but I certainly try much more than I did growing up. Growing up, no, definitely. Um, so no, um, so yeah, I left Manchester um, to get as far away from everything and everyone. And actually, that's when I started to really experiment with my sexuality. Okay, brilliant. So you, where did you move? Where did you go? You went from Manchester to where? You went to Cardiff? Yeah. Okay. That's where I met Samina. Oh, yeah. Okay, for those, for the audience, for the audience, Samina Baji, who was on my episode of Sharama Mental Health, is actually a friend of Sarkib's, and she's the one who introduced me to him. So I'm very thankful to her. So that is going to be an interesting story, but I am very conscious of time as you have a training session and I have work. We both have work. So why don't we leave university and the next chapter of your life to chapter two of this story? How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast for now. And I hope to speak to you soon. Yep. Thank you very much for having me. Um, And yeah, let me know. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode. Thank you for tuning in into this episode of the podcast. If you have been affected by anything discussed, please do not hesitate to contact myself or Sarkib. Our Instagram accounts are available in the description of this episode. I hope this episode has provided some comfort for those who can relate and has opened the minds of those who perhaps have a family member or friend going through the same thing. In part two of this episode, Saki will discuss his university experience, his marriage and divorce to his wife, emigrating to Brussels and becoming an LGBT community activist. So stay tuned.